right, riddle me this, Kev. What's one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle? What is it? What do you go for? Well, you might think power, but ultimately, from a smart and safe perspective, definitely the brakes. Yeah, no doubt. Upgraded braking systems can really transform a vehicle's performance and honestly give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. You know, from the track to off-road trails, even the morning commute, every single vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. And no matter what your vehicle or driving style, PowerStop has complete brake upgrade kits for you. So head to PowerStop.com, fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder to be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. That's right. You could join the thousands of other drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today with PowerStop. PowerStop.com, brake upgrades made easy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome, gang. It's the Two Guys Garage podcast presented by CarParts.com, the smarter way to shop for all your vehicle's replacement, collision, maintenance, and repair part needs. Trust me, man, we use them all the time in the show. Glad to have them. So, Kev, I'm fired up for today, boss. This is a, a, man, this is a snapshot of history right here. It's a time flash, a time warp. We're going vintage today, man. We're going old school, old school, like beyond old school, right? Most of us are like muscle car guys, but we're going beyond in time past the muscle car era to where it first began. Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't realize the history and really, you know, if I, I'm a big fan, you know, this of uh, Bonneville Salt Flats, man. It's like the birthplace of hot rodding. They get back from the war. Guys in barracks are like, what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's go race those old trucks or, you know, these old cars. And, and really, it was the, the birthplace of, of hot rodding. And, and you look at some of the history. You can't go out there without, you know, just being absolutely intoxicated with all things flatheads you know and you know how much 21 studs 24 studs what what um it's it's really just an entire culture around an engine there's it's so weird to, to see the connection and the the symbiotic relationship some of these people have w- with an old design and old architecture of an engine it's it's really cool well, it's, yeah, I mean, talk about the flathead Ford, man. That, that's kind of like the iconic V8 of sort of the original oh, hot rodding era, right? Absolutely. And, and if you think about, like, the history of the car, right? I mean, we rolled into the 1900s, and, you know, we're going from horse and buggy, and, you know, the first waves of people are getting cars, and Henry Ford's whole vision was trying to get the car to the masses, you know, not the Rolls Royces and all these, you know, Bugattis and expensive cars are trying to get, you know, something to the masses. And I think what really kicked off, you know, a lot of the performance, you know, at least genre, the whole thinking, the whole hot rodding experience was you got to get enough cheap performance oriented hardware out there for guys to get their hands on and start modifying and having some good times. And, you know, when he came out with that, the V8 flathead, uh, you know, the thing isn't stellar. We'll kind of get into some of the the ingredients of what makes it kind of awesome of the time, but kind of 
weak and flimsy in, in nowadays <laughs> terms, but at that time to get a V8, uh, you know, it was unheard of. And to get a V8, there was a lot of pioneering in that particular engine, but to get a, a V8 in one block casting, right? And to get it affordable. And I know he worked from, you know, doing a forging on the crank to, you know, working out a lot of the casting development to get, you know, a cast crank that was equal in strength to the steel crank. All these little bits made it to where you could have now a high volume V8 out there to get your hands on and go, like you said, go out to the salt flats, go racing light to light, you know, go out on a Saturday night, right? start to chirp those tires, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's funny because you're right about making it affordable. That was the key. Uh, and back then, you know, the simplicity of that flathead, the design of that, that particular engine, made it really easy to produce, you know, when you look at the head design uh, and how it's laid out. So, man, when they started getting out to the masses, you know, you know, friends, we do it. Everybody does it that runs in our little circle. If you have anything for the fact that the first thing you're going to try to do is make it go faster, who doesn't do that? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, and there was a lot of margin in those early days, like to make them go faster, to make them go faster. And, and uh, you know, they did really well relative to like, Let's say similar displacement I6s, because that's all you really had was I4s and I6s sure. that people could get their hands on, you know? And so these V8s, even though they were kind of choked off on airflow, uh, they still did really well. And you put a little bit of uh in there, and, and that sucker was cruising. Now, granted, you get up into the 50s and we start getting more overhead valve engines and, you know, way better cylinder heads. They kind of lost it, but man, from, you know, the 30s up to the early 50s, that was like the staple of hot rodding. Oh, boss, believe me. So I've got a buddy here in Colorado I've worked with that's super crazy about flatheads. And you know me and, you know, my Mopars and whatnot. I could give whatever about flatheads, even though I've owned one for a couple years, <laughs> which we'll get into in just a minute. Um, but I would go over and work on this Bonneville salt flat car that he set a world record in. It's like 184 point something. And he's been trying to, you know, break his own record for several years now. But you can squeeze some power out of them. But it's all relative. In today's environment, you wouldn't even blink at the power rating that takes my friend who set this world record thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, hours of, of just tried testing, you know, trying to, trying to just squeeze an ounce of efficiency and power out of it. And that's where, you know, those things really killed off was efficiency and moving air in and out. But I can't wait to talk to our guest today because he's one of those guys that knows these engines in and out. He's one of the guys that I'm sure lives that lifestyle and has that certain dedication and flair and connection to it all. So I'm really kind of excited about today. Oh, man, you said it. I mean, Bill Jagenow, he owns uh, Brothers Custom Automotive just outside Detroit in Troy, Michigan. Uh, and I met him several years ago. Uh, he kind of had a shop right by my house. And so in the evenings, every now and then I'd wander over and see what he's working on. And he always had some awesome early rides in there. You know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, big into the early stuff, real rockabilly, slick back hair, uh, but just an awesome guy with some of the incredible, incredible talent, an eye for detail. And uh, somehow this guy, so into earlys, uh, when I was building my, you know, BMW M3 with my LS swap years ago, I talked him into doing uh, all the sheep, you know, all the body work and paint and you know, the finishing on that car. Uh, which was a little bit of an arm wrangling, but his detail, his attention to detail was so insane. His paintwork was so great. Uh, we formed just an awesome friendship and uh, 
you know, I thought it'd be great to bring him on today and, and talk about earlys, man. Talk about flatheads. So why don't nice. we uh, why don't we bring him on? Yeah, well then let's shut up. Let's go to commercial break so we can bring him on. <laughs> All right, we're back in just a minute on the Two Guys Garage podcast with Kevin Bird and Willie B. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. It's presented by our friends at carparts.com. Truly, if you're out there looking for anything to do with your car, replacement, collision, maintenance, you just need general repair stuff. You can drop it right to your front door or back door, sliding glass, or wherever you need your you know, your drop-offs. They got you covered. Simple, easy. And all those things that Willie said, and on top of it, if you want to save like up to 50% compared to your, you know, your local shop, your local dealership, these are the guys. Like I said, drop it at your door and you got 90 day return satisfaction guarantee. That's awesome. Hey man, plus the main thing is you're choosing the part. You know, I don't know how many times I've got something dropped off, go to the car parts place, pick it up and it's the wrong part. <laughs> this way, you're selecting it. <laughs> uh, anyway, man, I'm fired up. Introduce our boy, Bill. Bill, welcome, man. Welcome to the party, dude. Great to have you on, man. Uh, it's been way too long. You know, all this COVID stuff, man, be able to hang out and and uh, goof off like the old days, but uh, we're gonna do a little bit of that right now, man. Hey, fellas, what's going on? Uh, what's going on in your shop, man? What's going on in your life? Tell us, what's the scoop? Well, the the COVID pandemic really made things busier around here, to be honest with you. And we've had a lot of people in their garages instead of going to work during the day, and they've been tinkering with things that they didn't really have time for. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of time and. Machine shops are booked up for months and months, and I've got about 10 engines in process, and the shop's never been fuller, so we're busy as heck, man, I'll tell you. You know, Bill, we see that in every person that we talked to over the last year has said that same thing. In one way, this pandemic has been the the perfect storm for car enthusiasts. Like you said, they now have time. They're at home. They walk out in their garage, their shop. Uh, and what hasn't had the time, attention, or for that matter, the budget to, you know, just fidelity overall, everything involved in building a car, they haven't been able to commit that. Now they've been able to. And every person in all aspects of the industry has been really surprised and really grateful for what's occurred over the last, you know, year to 13 months. It's, it's been amazing. So I'm happy for you in that regard. Well, thanks. And, you know, we're happy too. And and it's been a lot of fun to to meet new people, even though I can't tell who they are most of the time with the mask on when they come in. But it's been fun to, to learn new things about new people, you know. And, and Kevin, don't you think you guys here in, you know, a matter of months, everything's looks to be you know vaccines and whatnot everything looks to be here in the near future we'll be able to show off what everybody has been working on and i imagine the enormous pop of hot rods and cars that we've never seen and builds that we never thought of i imagine that initial what's occurring now right and when it that first wave of cars that hit us is going to be absolutely amazing so much new stuff's going to be out there it's going to be great 
well, we're going to have two years worth of SEMA all in one next year. You know, like right. yes. I can't even imagine that. That's just a scale beyond anything your brain can almost wrap around. <laughs> I can't imagine it being bigger than it is already. Yeah. They might, they might have to build another building. Yeah. Well, like, let alone your, your local cars and coffee, your hot rod cruises, like everybody's just so Jones. And so, you know, speaking of hot rods and getting them out there, you still have your 29? It's a 27, but yes, oh, 27. I do. 27. God, I missed that <laughs> the one. Model T. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I've gotten to take a ride in that thing, but actually it's probably like two generations ago because it was still all in, I would say almost rust at that point, right? It was rusty then, Stripped yeah. down 27, flatty in there, just cool as hell, old school, uh, you know, minimalistic ride. So the thing, even though it's, you know, let's say underpowered by today's standards, still would scoot and haul ass and sound awesome and it still had the salt from the salt flats that you'd run out there i don't know how many years ago right right oh dude i love that it yeah. sticks to y'all's vehicles if you don't know it uh he knows man bill knows when, if you ever traveled or taking your ride out on the salt flats you're leaving with a piece of yeah, history definitely are. uh and it's it's just great you can't get it out of there it'll surprise you when you clean it that it got into places you know oh it's unbelievable yeah that thing's <laughs> been redone i think what twice now like it is it's been done twice it yeah. is absolutely show quality like top notch i mean it it goes to uh, Adorama in Detroit. Uh, I don't know if you had it there. How many times? It's been there three times. Once when it wasn't finished and twice when it has been painted. Yeah. So, Bill, on, on, on these early, you know, you're 27 and some of these cars from the 20s and 30s, what is it about that, that era that sort of lights your fuse a little bit? Because Kevin and I lean a little bit towards some of the muscle cars, some of the 90s and early 2000, you know, uh, offerings have our attention and the modern stuff. But what is it about that era that really draws you in and absorbs your soul uh, into the architecture of the car? You know, I get that question often. And really, it's pretty easy. When I was younger and I was reading a lot of the old magazines, the, the cars that were featured were flathead powered just because it was that time of uh, the season, if you will, in, in, in the racing and in the books that I was reading, I really liked the little pages and I really, that was, was what was inside them. And I was fascinated by these guys coming out of world war II, flying P 38 and, oh, and, yeah. and P 51 Mustangs. And yes. now they don't, they can't fly something that goes, uh, you know, 400 miles an hour. They've got to get into something that has four wheels and try to fly at ground level. Right. So Seeing the guys take what was available to them then in, you know, post-war flathead V8, lots of speed equipment available, many carburetors as you could fit. Yeah. You could put it in a belly tank from a from an airplane that all the aerodynamics had already been worked out by the government. And you could go as fast as that engine could push the car, you know, channeling, chopping, and just making that engine squeezing every little ounce out of it with what technology they had at their fingertips at that time. And that really is what I really like about them is that, that, that hardcore idea of these GIs coming back from, you know, working in the Solomon islands on stuff and coming back and the heat didn't bother them to be at El Mirage and they're taking engines right. in and out. And I don't know. I just love the idea of it. 
Same, same thing, you know, Bonneville has wind over the army base that was there. Those guys would come back from the war and take out, like you said, you know, they would adapt the, the bellies of planes or, you know, fuel tanks, this and that, and they would go out and just run them till, to no end. Uh, and I, I do love that era and the appreciation of it. Uh, when you go to places like El Mirage and Bonneville, uh, the bend in the curve. I've cut my teeth there several years in a row, and <laughs> and it's uh, it really is a, an entire culture and, and cult following, uh, not just in that era, but the whole lifestyle and and the way it's presented, and and you know the cars are such a unique and major part of that. I think that it's a little bit more romantic than today in the car department. The cars are smaller. They're more intimate. They're you know, one and two, two person only, even yeah. when they were new and it's just a smaller thing. So I get, I get something out of that when it's just me and my girl in the car, or when I take my son for a ride, it's just the two of us, you know, and, and it's got this old power plant and it sounds tough and no one <laughs> sees a car like that around and it gets a lot yeah. of attention. Well, it, it's stripped down to its core basics. Like you said, I mean, uh, the simplicity of it, right? There's not a bunch of widgets and gadgets and stuff that's just cluttering. It's just, it's that sound, right? It's just the four wheels turning, uh, especially like in yours where you've, you know, really kind of minimalistic out. A lot of times you'll see uh, guys with flatheads will have them really exposed, uh, you know, and so. It helps with just, cooling. <laughs> yeah, because they always have uh, little problems with that if you're not careful. Um, but yeah, man, it's just, it's taking the automobile, it's taking transportation. And like we've talked about, going fast and speed down to its bare minimum essentials, uh, you know, back in that day. And then you, you wrap all the history and everything around it, and, and it just has an appeal to it. You know, you go to uh, car shows and you can see all kinds of stuff. Uh, but when you go to a, sort of an early car kind of event, you know, like there's a different vibe. Like people are almost living in that time, right? Just the style, the dress, you know, <laughs> yeah. people are still playing the music. Uh, you know, there's a, a 30s, 40s, 50s vibe at a lot of the events instead of just, you know, here we are in 2021 and there's a whole bunch of cars. It's like, no, 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 man. You are now transported in time. <laughs> the 50s vibe is straight murder with a mask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, I got a question about the flathead, man. What's your favorite? What's different variations of it out there? Um, I got to tell you, man, when it comes to that that engine... It's so different in the design of what most people know. When they look at it and they're like, what do you mean the head is just, just a flat chunk of, <laughs> of iron? It's got a little part carved out. Of, huh? I don't quite understand it. Could you explain that attraction and what draw you first towards it? Uh, and really the, the basis of how that thing uh, is so uniquely different than what we're, we're so comfortable with today. Sure. You know, I think when you see a, a Roadster or a Coupe that the engine is exposed on and you see the flathead engine in, the, in it, generally, the it's instantly recognizable because there's no valve cover and there's a, either studs or bolts covering it. And it's one of the only V8 engines there is that have exposed spark plugs. The whole spark plug is sticking out and... <laughs> just the electrodes buried in the head and you see all of them. You see all the linkages, you see the carburetor working, you see the distributor, everything is right there, right in front of your face. And you can get right up to them and you can really see how they work. And what's what most people find really interesting is that the engine as a whole, there's, there's like three versions of it 
I mean, loosely, three versions of it. There's the early 21 stud engine. Then there's the 59A engine, which is 48 to 39. Okay. And then that has 24 studs. And then there's the last version. And that's from 49 to 53. And that has 24 studs, just like the the 39 to, to 48. But walking up to the engine in a car, running or not, you notice that there's no moving parts in the heads. There's none. It's a casting. So everything, all the magic happens under there. So the valves are in the block. The valve guides are in the block. The lifters, there's everything is inside. So the heads were easy to take off and put different ones on for different compression ratios, a different look, a different water volume, different cooling, you know, and, and performance. So it was really easy to switch that kind of thing. And there were many, many, many companies coming to that party back in those days. (laughs) Yeah, that's it, man. It goes back to simplicity and it let a lot of folks, especially that were mechanically inclined, kind of start diving in, right? And then with the aftermarket support, man, it just became huge, right? There's this synergistic thing between what the OEs deliver and what the aftermarket has and us guys that just can't help but tinker on stuff uh, start messing around and having some fun. Now, as, as Bill was talking about, if you've never seen one, Google it. It's kind of interesting. So, again, the head's just a slab with a little combustion chamber, a little hole for the spark plug, uh, and the valves are in the block, and you go, how the heck does, how the hell can a valve be in a block? Well, they're on the deck yeah. face, lifting upwards towards the cylinder head, uh, and they're sometimes called a side valve, right? Because you yeah, got the cylinders yeah. <laughs> all in a line, and then next to the cylinders are all the valves, right? The, you know, two per <laughs> cylinder valves. And uh, they have to actually kind of flow up and the cylinder head, you know, carries the air over into the cylinder. About to 90 degree bend. Yeah, any person knows anything about how air moves in and out of an engine sees that and goes, wait a minute, you're gonna have a lot of problems with that. That's no good. (laughs) Hold up, hold up. All right, look, here's the deal. We got a break, but we're gonna dive into that coming up in just a minute. So make sure you stick around back in just a second. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast with Kevin Bird and Willie P. It is Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. It is presented by CarParts.com. Have you seen how easy it is to get any part you need? And it doesn't matter what it's for. Could be collision, repairs, maintenance, whatever, and get dropped right to your door. Check it out, CarParts.com. Kevin, I'm loving this. Bill, I appreciate this because this is an era, and really, I've always been a fan because I was a kid, and I used to get Hot Rod, and Hot Rod at a time would always have something about the salt flats or El Mirage or some of these land speed records. So you would always incorporate that in your ingestion of, you know, 69 Chevelles or, you know, 57 Chevys or whatever, right? So I'd always get a little dose of it. But it really wasn't until I got out to, to Bonneville and experienced it that uh, I really understood it and appreciated what it takes to keep that alive and man what a cool design what a cool engine what a cool culture that's wrapped around that uh so you're definitely doing your part and we definitely appreciate it uh in that regard so tell us man was it a 21 stud was it a 24 stud uh was it the simplicity of it what was it about that simplicity in the architecture that made you or uh, just become addicted to it well when I was in San Diego, uh, in, I don't know, I was in the Navy in, um, in San Diego and 
I fell in love with this 49 Ford and it had a flathead V8 in it. I thought, well, whatever. And that's I, what I have. I got one I, of those. <laughs> I bought it. I drove it. I bought it actually in Carson and I drove it back to San Diego and it got hot on the way home. And I said, well, I could fix oh, that. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> I could fix that. So, and it, and it was really pretty easy to work on. And it, it made it very fun to do the work in that it's just five eighths, nine sixteenths, half inch. You know, I happen to have that. And, uh, you know, taking it apart, putting new parts on it, you know, fixing things. It was really, really simple. And, it lent itself to tinkering. And they're so damn durable. Yeah. You know, like it takes hardly anything yeah. to keep any, whether it's a inline or a V8, the, the flatheads are so damn simple. They just keep on going. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things that was kind of really cool when he, when he did the uh, V8, I don't know if it was the first year or if it was a couple of years after he did the high pressure oiling system. So now you had high pressure oil. And if anybody knows anything about bearings, you know, rod bearings, crank bearings, uh, you know, you get certain surface speeds so certain RPMs and uh, you can start shredding the film thickness and you'll, you know, seize up bearings. Uh, but you put high pressure to them like we all know today. But back in the day, I think the early, early cars had a lot of spray oil and splash trying to keep oil in, in certain places, you know. So uh, there was a huge kind of leap forward in, in sort of the, uh, again, the affordable performance. But it let guys start to turn RPMs, which makes power, you know. Uh, and, and just again, because yeah. there's so very little parts to them, uh, they're just easy to keep running, uh, except for maybe the part that you talked about overheating. I mean, that's kind of a common problem with a lot of those. Cause you know, the intake ports are in the block, yeah, but so are the exhaust ports. ports. Yeah. The exhaust ports are in the block and they have to go through the cylinders to get to the outside. Cause you know, they go right through the coolant. Yep. And so as a heavy taxation. Yeah, man. So a lot more heat load going into that cooling system and you know, think about water pumps back in the day. They're not like they are today. You know, today's water pumps, they can move a lot of water. They're super dependable. But those probably early water pumps, like, I don't know. I don't know how great they were to move that much cooling. Oh, dude, two squirrels on a wheel, man. Two and don't forget, <laughs> the Flathead Ford engines have two water pumps. Yep. So you have one for each side. So basically, it's two four-cylinder engines next to each other and that water doesn't mix in the engine block it only mixes in the radiator yeah so there's always a disparaging temperature but on your point about parts kevin you know that that flathead ford v8 the first ones that has the fewest moving parts for a v8 v8 engine for a production v8 engine that they were making at the time and all those parts fit other engines too the valves the 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 valve guides, the springs, all these things were shared in other engine designs. Well, if you think about it, it didn't have, you know, rocker arms. It didn't have push rods. It didn't have anything going up in the, in the cylinder right. head, right? It was all down the block. Right. And then uh, even kind of thrifted out two of the main bearings. So if we think about a typical V8, right? It's got five <laughs> main bearings supporting. Thrifted out. You know? I like that. Well, it, it kind of was in that whole era of making it yeah. uh, cheaper, more simple, more affordable. And so yeah. there's only a front, a back, and a middle holding the whole crankshaft in there uh which six bolts yeah <laughs> uh which kind of limits its performance ability you, you, you gotta know? look at the rpm though it wasn't turning any rpm they were definitely you know not prone to big rpms they made all the power down low the compression ratio was like you know five or six five on these half, things yeah. <laughs> right. uh, so You're you know right. <laughs> the, the, you know i i was i was talking before we came on to to build just I, i've got a 49 ford and i got it several years ago 
It's got the, you know, the 8BA flathead in it, right? And that, those water ports, I believe, coming in the front of that head. Um, the, the weird thing about it is, is I've always, decept- I always said and determined, I was like, well, when that engine, you know, gets wasted or stops running or something, I'll really dive into it and, and understand the architecture behind it and, you know, how it all works. Problem is, it, hell, it's never, it's never failed. I've freshened up the carburetor on it, but that car starts at 19 below, and it never really gets too hot. <laughs> it runs and puts around great. It's, it's like 125 horsepower, but it's a, it's a really cool car, a really great engine. It's got a very unique sound, and it always is reliable. Well, there have always been dependable engines. I mean, that, that same 49 Ford I was talking about earlier, I drove it from San Diego to Detroit. Yeah. In 1995. Right? <laughs> yeah, so it cool. was only, you know, 70 years old. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was a terrifying drive. It was not fast and it was hot, but it made it. And I still own the car today. Well, speaking of <laughs> going fast, you know, what kind of, let's say, respectable power can you get out of a flathead? You know, doing the, let's say, the core basics of upgrades. Well, the best engines to do anything with are the 49 to 53 engines in that they're kind of the last refinement of the engine. So they're 239 cubic inches from Ford. And then Mercury had a four inch crankshaft. So a quarter inch stroke, and that made 255 cubic inches. And it was 100 horsepower or 110 horsepower for Mercury is what they advertised. That's with one carburetor. Yeah, it was a hundred horse <laughs> okay. motor. Yeah. And it was very easy to squeeze them into 150, 160, 170, 180, horsepower naturally aspirated adding carburetors changing the bore size i mean you can go from three and five six or three and three sixteenths bore size you can go we re- routinely do 125 thousandths over that which is really unusual for any engine that you can bore it 125 thousand over but some engines you can go 200 <laughs> over on so you go in in inches you know, three and three sixteenths, three and five sixteenths, three and three eighths in the bore size. And you can take an engine that was a 239 and make it 296, 304, but your dependability will go down because the rings seem to not last as long. The further they travel up and down the bore, you know, every quarter inch of stroke, you know, that's, you add it up over RPMs that they wear out quicker than something with a shorter stroke, right? But you can get under 200 horsepower, naturally aspirated, pretty easily. I mean, they're maxed out, but you can get over 300 with a supercharger. But you're nearing the end of what's possible, (laughs) you know, for the street. Yeah, practically possible. And it's not cheap. It's expensive to do that, you know. You know, the the parts that you can get from H&H and others, they, they are high quality but they're high priced and there's that's because that economy of scale where they don't make as many they make 10 superchargers at a time instead of hundreds of magnusons or others and and that making 10 versus 100 their 10 is going to be more expensive so for horsepower the flathead is more expensive but it can still be reliable and fast and keep up with a five speed Man, they're a lot more fun with a five-speed than just a three-speed. For anybody that's interested in maybe, you know, getting into flatheads, owning a flathead, getting into early rides, uh, what could you get your hands on, let's say, a, you know, a running or an easily 
you know, tuned up flathead nowadays. And then if you wanted to, you know, build a decent sub 200 version, what, what are you looking to kind of get into for, for coin? You know, what are you spending? Oh boy. Um, you'll get, you'll get, um, some feedback from your listeners on this, but I think <laughs> arranges. If, you, if you get yeah. and, and that's good. Uh, we'd love that. But, you know, I think a good engine that runs that you could depend on is going to be in the few thousand dollar range. Okay. Not just a core, but something that runs. Okay. Heads, aluminum heads can cost you, you know, 500 bucks for a used set, which isn't advisable, but you could, you can make it work or, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars, and up and up and up based on how rare they are and you know how many were made and so on. Car uh, intake manifolds are practically the same cost for no matter how many carburetors they have. So the carburetors are let's just round up to five hundred bucks a piece. So if you have one, it's five hundred dollars. You have two, it's thousand dollars, and so on. So you. You know, you could be in the five to ten to fifteen thousand dollar range to be able to push it into a horsepower range that would allow you to keep up with a small block Chevy. But that's what it takes. It really does, especially for something that doesn't get hot, is new, and isn't going to let you down. You know. But but Kevin, I'll help answer that question because just out in the market. You know, just being able to get your hands on an old flathead hot rod, it's fairly inexpensive. Matter of fact, I would say if you're looking for a really cool status hot rod, but you don't necessarily care about rage and ripping performance, you know, 1,000 horsepower garbage like we, we're addicted to, you know, you might look at the flatheads because the, the old 49 Ford I got, I got for a real affordable price, and I feel like I see them fairly often on different places, sites, and in town uh, for a real affordable price, and you still get the nostalgia, the feel. Uh, you don't get creature comforts, but who cares? You, you know, you're, you're pushing a, a 49 Ford or, a, you know, a 27. Uh, I, I believe if you're looking to get in the hot rod, and that's a real affordable, cool, and, you know, unique way to do so. You know, you can, you can do little at a time. When I, when I first got into my 49 Ford, the first thing I did was put – a dual point ignition on it, or you could put electronic. That's a few hundred dollars. You could put a, a, yeah. a dual exhaust system on it, help it breathe a little bit more. That's way better for the engine. And then maybe add a carburetor. You know, these are in the hundreds of dollars. And these are things that take the engine from the hundred horsepower to, you know, 120, 125, you know, give or take. And that's a little yeah. bit more. That's a quarter, a quarter, 25% more than what you had. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's something you can feel, right? Definitely, yeah. Twenty-five horsepower on five hundred is like I don't know, did, did I do anything? But twenty-five on a hundred, just like you said, twenty-five percent, <laughs> man. That's, that's a lot bigger piece and, of pie. These, yes, sir. These flathead engines really respond well to that kind of thing because they were, I guess I could say, dumbed down for the public. You know, hey, let's make it so it'll run for fifty thousand, hundred thousand miles and have very little problems. They'll leak oil. There'll be a lot of oil in the valve train, but that's good, right? You know, <laughs> keep <it lubricated laughs> and, and it might stop, but uh, you know, it lasted a long time. Yeah, and again, it it ran at such a low RPM. 
you know, where the Achilles heel was, was airflow because, you you know, you had the valves working against one another, how they get air in and out, move it in and out of the chamber. Um, so you can't really have uh, high compression with them because if you milled the head, that, you know, ate up space to open and close the valves, exactly. which was counterintuitive. So it's one of those things you're somewhat limited uh, on what you could do. And, and, you know, much after 54, I think it was, when the more modern V8, they were making the power that the, the hot rod guys were in these uh, when they were wrung out. But there is definitely something more than nostalgic uh, and definitely in the cool point factor about pushing an old flathead. It's sound, the way it feels, the way that low-range and mid-range power just comes on. Uh, if you've never driven one, I encourage you to do so. Uh, and I absolutely just appreciate that old school, just the fact that it's still out there, the fact that people are still loving it, building it, well, and, and driving it. And they make such great jewels. Yeah. It is a beautiful engine. God, the, the ones that Bill builds, oh, man. Like, you know, he talked about adding some speed parts and whatnot, but, uh, man, he's oh, yeah, done, I don't know how many, just fully up polished yeah. up, painted. I mean, just absolute Sick. jewelry sitting there in that engine compartment, man. They have a look that I don't think you could top with just about anything else except maybe, Facts. you know, Porsche Carrera GT, V, you know, V10, whatever, with all the cool ducting and carbon fiber and all that stuff. But now you're in a whole different category. Well, I don't yeah. know, maybe a 426 Hemi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hemi. Maybe a Hemi cab. Don't go to that. I go in Hemi. I'm going to America. All right, well, look, man, how do people find you socially? How do they get more details about your shop, you, your builds, and everything else? Well, they can look me up on Instagram. I've got an Instagram account, Brothers Custom Auto, and we're on Facebook, Brothers Custom Automotive. And we don't have a website. We figured that the social media worked for so long and it's there's thousands of pictures on either of them of work that we're doing or have done and places okay. we're going and uh, or have gone you know we we try to get out to japan to see the moon eye show and uh we try to attend as many shows as we can and share other things that we find interesting all right in a final question what is your ultimate dream if you could dip in the world of the genies uh that that can you know give you any car grant you any car wish What's your your pinnacle? What's your holy grail of cars? If you could put anything in your garage, what would it be? Oh, man. Are you kidding me? Any car? Any car. Oh, man. No one's ever asked me that. Rub the lamp. <laughs> throw it in your garage. What is it? Anything. Oh, man. I might have to have one of the 05, 06 Ford GTs. Yeah. I might have nice. to have that. Dude. <laughs> yeah, totally yeah, right, man. right field. <laughs> it's kind of a muscle car, but it's pretty... <laughs> Pretty bad. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. this is the thing I was saying earlier about Bill. Like, he's so into earlys, but his talent is 360 degrees on the circle because he's done a lot of work on some GT stuff, composites. I mean, this guy can make the finish on anything badass. So he's been around GTs, uh, Kip Ewing and some other folks. So uh, he's got a pretty broad spectrum, but I know what he loves. But that was cool to see yeah, that left man, fielder, but he man. he just went like... Bro, he went like Motley Crue, took a trip on the wild side. He <laughs> yep. pulled that out left yep. field, bro. He just like, whoop. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you might not I, have expected that, but hey, you know. Well, I tell you guys, anybody in Detroit, you got to swing by their shop. Uh, Bill and Autumn are the coolest cats in town, man. They, they, they have a scene. They have great people around them. Uh, they, they're always, you know, throwing either events themselves or a huge presence at any event. And they're so recognizable, you know? It's just a bunch of cool-ass, 
you know, rockabillies, bringing some awesome hardware, great attitudes, some cold ones. So check out Brothers Customs anytime you're around Detroit, man. These guys rock. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, indeed, man. And don't forget about our show, Air Weekends on the Motor Trend Network. Check your local listings. Episodes also now streaming on Motor Trend On Demand. Thanks to our guest, Bill Jaganal, Kevin Bird, Willie B., our producer's group, executive producer, Bob Ecker. Yeah, and don't forget to check out our website, too, twoguysgarage.com, man. Share your thoughts with us. We're on social, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Two Guys Garage. A Two Guys Garage podcast is copyrighted 2021, Britain Productions Incorporated, all rights reserved. Nice. Man, I love I love that old scene, dude. Uh it's it's funny cuz you can you can almost forget about some of the old times, right? Cuz we're living in today, right? And we go to a car show, you see a lot of 50s, sure. 60s era, 70s stuff. But man, as soon as you get around some of that early stuff, it's just awesome and it sucks you in and you super appreciate Kev, it and you gravitate towards it. Look, man, I'm telling you, one of our missions on Two Guys Garage, the TV side of it, should be to take the viewers on on a weekend extravaganza at Bonneville Amen. during the world of speed. I, I'm telling you, if you're listening, let's make it happen. We'll catch you on the next Two Guys Garage podcast with Kevin Bird and Willie B. See you guys. Two Guys Garage podcast is a production of Britain Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.